Hey everybody, my name is Chris McDaniel and I'm here with two of my very good friends as we are going to be sharing with you a little bit about a recent uh, class that we had or a study that we had at Trinity on the Gospel of John, specifically Jesus' I Am statements. And we're just really excited. It was a great time and we're excited to be able to share some of what we learned and what happened in the class with you in this podcast episode. So there are three of us sitting around a table. Uh, I'm Chris, the lead pastor at Trinity, and um, really enjoy looking at John's Gospel. It's been a big passion in my life. Um, why don't you two ladies introduce yourselves? Sure. My name is Adrian Christian, and I'm the pastor of evangelism and discipleship here at Trinity. Um, very excited. I was very excited to get into the book of John and get to teach that. And hey, everybody, I'm Katie Wilson. I'm a ministry coordinator here. And likewise, really excited uh, to get to have a conversation with you two. So good. So Adrian, you guys came up with the idea of doing a study in John's gospel. Mm -hmm. There's a lot that could be said if you were looking at John's gospel. It's mm -hmm. my favorite book in the Bible. Yeah. But you chose some very like particular uh, word approaches. Can you just give us a little bit of a look into how you guys even came up with this idea to do the five-week study that we did? Sure. So Katie and I met. We were coming off of Alpha. We were trying to figure out some class that we could do that would help people um, know more about Jesus, understand who who is Jesus. Um, and we wanted a class that could engage both people who were curious about faith um, and people who wanted to learn more and people who've been in the faith for a really long time. And so John has um, been a great, I mean, it's a wonderful gospel to be able to learn more about Jesus. Um, and we decided, as you said, yes, it, the gospel has so much that we could talk about, um, but in concentrating on who Jesus is, those I am statements really come out. Um, and because of that phrase, I am, I mean, that's how God describes himself to Moses in the book of mm -hmm. Exodus. Um, and so Jesus is human and he is fully God. And um, that's the provocative part, I think, about this book is John really brings that out. That's really good. And I think when we were talking a few minutes before recording, Katie, I mean, you were highlighting just how provocative that would have been. So Jesus, when he says, I am, over and over and over again, he's really saying something that would have probably meant something very specific to Jewish hearers. Yeah, his Jewish audience immediately would have thought back to Exodus when Yahweh, the Lord, reveals himself to Moses and ultimately to the people of Israel. And so for him to say any statement starting with I am would have perked ears to say he's claiming to be God without even the rest of his provocative statements that he did. Just even those two words would have been shocking. Yeah. And I think that as we enter into this conversation where we're going to I mean, you guys, we're going to give you a very high level flyover of all all five weeks and, and the, the I am statements. It is really important for us to recognize that when Jesus says these words, he is making a statement that is really and truly impossible to ignore because he's either right, I am the way, the truth, and the life, I am the resurrection, I am, as you'll hear, or he's putting himself on an equal footing with God and is like a, a heretic, a madman, or worse. Yeah. And I think that's just really important because as Western people with Western ears, 
we don't we just hear these statements and sometimes either go huh okay but these were not easy to ignore statements no and even for the people at the time right like that's exactly how they heard him it's he is claiming to be god yeah and he's either right or he's wrong and if he's wrong and he knows he's wrong he's a crook (laughs) if he's wrong and he doesn't know that he's wrong then he's delusional or he's god So as you listen to what we're about to share, I want you to just think through the fact that if Jesus is right, then he has something to say about your life, our lives. He has a right to lay claim to us. So let's just jump in and listen to Jesus. Uh, So Adrian, you did the first two weeks. Uh, The first statement is Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. So you concentrated on that statement. You spent a lot of time thinking through John chapter 1 specifically, which is just a power packed. I, I once heard a scholar say that John chapter 1, those are the most inspired words to ever fall from human pen to paper, mm. which is a big statement. That is. <laughs> uh, and so can you just talk through your thoughts about how that John 1 connects to Jesus' statement in John 8, where he says, I'm the light of the world. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, this statement, I'm the light of the world, is actually the second I am statement, but um, I just had to do it first because of John 1. And so we did spend most of the time in John 1. Um, And actually, before Jesus actually says, I am the light of the world, John, the writer of this book, is talking about Jesus, and he describes him as the light. Mm. Um, He describes him saying that the light, he is the light that shines in the darkness, Mm. and this darkness has not overcome it. And so he is the first one, the writer of the book, that talks about Jesus as the light. Um, And then he describes John the Baptist, who also describes Jesus as this light, the true light that is coming into the world. Um, And even before we get to that I am statement, Jesus speaks of this light that's coming into the darkness when he's talking to Nicodemus. Um, And then finally we get to John 8, 12, where Jesus tells the Pharisees, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. It's so good. Yeah. And I think when we think about light, I mean, the first thing we have to hold there is that light illuminates, mm-hmm. it protects. Yep. Like in a world where there was no electricity, you know, light meant a lot because people spent a great deal more time actually in darkness than we do, right? Like darkness mm-hmm. to us is something we usually only experience when we're asleep or when the power goes out. Yeah. But in the ancient world, a statement around light, I mean, light meant the difference between life and death, between safety and danger. And so I I would just love, Adrian, for you to share with us a little bit about what you saw around how that statement that Jesus is making about light, how how could that bring comfort to us as we live in our daily spaces, just walking through day? What does it mean? Yeah, it's so funny that you talk about the ancient world. I lived overseas for a little bit, and the light would go out. multiple times in the day and you you really couldn't <laughs> walk around a it was that was it you didn't go out so it's not safe um, but also you needed to find some kind of flashlight or a candle or mm-hmm. something in order to be able to get around so yes um, light gives us clarity right mm, yeah um, there's something good about light like really really good mm-hmm. um, provides safety to us gives us direction and guidance um, yeah. That's really beautiful because, I mean, what Jesus is saying is I bring those things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've said this a lot at Trinity. 
you know, these kinds of texts in the Bible, Jesus is telling us something about him, but he's also telling us something about us, right? If he's the light of the world, we're the kind of creatures who need that light, both for clarity, safety, direction. And I just think that's so beautiful. I mean, it reminds us, right? Jesus is saying essentially here, I have something to say about your life. Yeah. It's really important. And so much in my life I can think about, like, I don't know. I don't know where to go or what to do. And Jesus is saying, following his way of life, you know, will never walk in darkness. We'll never be lost. Amen. So week two, we looked at Jesus's statement, I am the bread of life. Adrian, you taught this week as well. Give us a little bit of context. What was Jesus saying? What was happening around the time that he made this I am statement about being the bread of life? Yeah, Jesus had begun his ministry and he had chosen his first disciples. He had um, performed some miracles. And the one miracle that he had performed happened right before he mentioned this, that I am the bread of life. Um, And he had fed the 5,000. which involved the multiplication of bread and fish. And you can imagine during that time that people had been hungry and he had fed them bread and he didn't just feed them, but he did so abundantly and there was leftover. Mm. Um, And yet they didn't quite get it, right? Um, He met a physical need that day. Yeah. But um, his point was that he he was going to meet something so much deeper that they needed. Um, And he was saying, I am this bread of life, which is would have hit the ears of the people during that time in a certain way. Tell us what, what would have, what would his hearers have heard when he said that? Yeah. Thinking about uh, bread, they, he said like, I am the bread from heaven. I am the true bread from heaven. And they would have thought um, about Exodus, about the Israelites being in the wilderness when people were hungry and had a physical need, they had a need and God rained um, manna from heaven, they -hmm. would have under connected that in their mind, maybe in a way that we don't naturally today. And I just love that picture because I mean, y'all Exodus, Exodus was a mess. I mean, God, (laughs) God set the Jews free. They had been in slavery for so long. They had no idea. I mean, it would be be a people. (laughs) They did not. They did not know how to survive in free places. I mean, we, we can romanticize all day about freedom, but you know, for the, for them, it'd be like taking a bunch of us city people out into the woods and saying, good luck, like camp away. And so when the bread came, I mean, God was seeing that they could not take care of themselves. And so really Jesus in this moment is saying, when you can't feed yourself, like I got, I can feed you, but I will feed you by, with me. Right. Which in and of itself, like the first one, is a provocative it's statement. provocative, yeah. Um, it is a very, very provocative statement. Eat on my, eat my flesh. Yeah. Right? I mean, John 6, Jesus actually says those words and that, <laughs> you know, John 6 Verse 66, which, you know, if you're into numbers, uh, is, is a passage that says from that time on, many of his followers left him because they were just like, dude, we cannot get with this. Right. Jesus was saying something about participation with him yeah. that is uncomfortable. We, we th- like to think of participation as like always a really like winsome invitation. And then Jesus is saying like, you got to you got to feed on me. Right. That's pretty tough. Yeah. Yeah. It's really um, interesting during during the class, we had some bread. Oh, yeah. Um, 
and we just had lots of different bread on the table for people to actually eat and chew on during during the time. And if you think about when we're digesting anything, like we chew it, so something happens with saliva. I mean, I don't understand it all. <laughs> we taste it, hmm. we swallow it, then there's lots of digestion that happens. Um, and this invitation that Jesus gives that I am the bread of life, I think he's inviting us to really, really chew on him, um, to it. digest him. I love that. Yeah. So good. So good, Adrian. So these ladies tasked me to handle week three, where I said um, some stuff about Jesus's statement, I am the gate and I am the good shepherd. And our time was mainly marked by the fact that Jesus here, before and really over the top of everything around being the gate and the good shepherd, Jesus is saying, I'm here to protect and you need my protection. Uh, The image of people as sheep uh, is a really complex image. You know, we tend to want to either make sheep cute and cuddly or dumb. And they're really a little bit of a bunch of things. And some of what we reflected on that week was Jesus saying, I care for you people just like a shepherd cares for sheep. And and y'all, we live in a world where everything is mass produced or mass, uh, mass farming where shepherds don't have the kind of connection to their livestock that they would have in Jesus's time. And frankly, that, that they do now in lots of the world, just not the, the Western industrialized world that we are used to. And so Jesus was making some statements there that I think were really important. He was saying, I, I lay my life down. And this picture is of a, a thief or a bandit or a wolf coming in mm-hmm. to attack. And Jesus is saying, you will be attacked. You will mm-hmm. experience adversity, but I am here to protect you. Yeah. Just beautiful. Yeah, it's so comforting. Yeah, and kind of scary. Mm-hmm. I mean, because in this statement, he's actually saying you, you, there are forces aligned mm-hmm. and arrayed against us as the people of God, but Jesus has something to say. Mm-hmm. One of the most provocative things we discussed that night was the fact that the Good Shepherd um, owns the sheep. Mm-hmm. And so that means that God um, has ownership over us and that we tend to live in a world where we kind of want to think we're our own masters, yeah. you know? And I mean, Katie was there that night. I think you were gone that week, Adrian. But I mean, it, it sparked conversation and questions that I thought were really honest because this idea of God laying claim to us is really hard for people, including us, to wrap our heads around. And yet there's something really important there, you know? So it was a good time. The, the, the statements of Jesus being the gate, the point of entry, the protector, that we're vulnerable that he's able to lead us. Uh, I think maybe the last thing I'll say before we jump into some space with you, Katie, is just that Jesus speaks in that context about us having the ability to hear his voice and know his voice and and for us to know our name because we're called by name. And I think that, that really there's an invitation there for Jesus to say, like, you can hear my voice. Mm-hmm. That if a lamb who is not like the, you know, the smartest creature ever made not not also not the dumbest creature ever made but if if a lamb can know the voice and the tone of her master her owner then we all um, whether we're bankers pastors school teachers uh, plumbers that we can know what the god's voice sounds like and feels like and i just find that to be so encouraging you know yeah and chris i feel like that was one of the things that people really latched onto, I remember in our discussion, 
people it hadn't thought about that sheep would know the voice of the shepherd mm-hmm. and that the shepherd could call the sheep by name. I remember that just being really impactful for people. Yeah, me, me too. And I just think for us, you know, one of the invitations there is to carve out regular quiet space to be in God's word, yeah. but also to pray in such a way that we, we really begin to cultivate a hopeful expectation that God will speak to us, that prayer is not just us offloading requests or it's not a one-way yeah. venting session. Mm-hmm. It's like making space to listen. And I think for us, there's an invitation to, to practice listening in prayer. So week four, Katie, you, you brought uh, a reflection on Jesus's I am statement where he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Uh, you spent a, a lot of time um, on this idea of resurrection and life, but that phrase occurs within a story. What is that story and why? Why does it matter? Yeah, so this story occurs within the narrative of Lazarus mm-hmm. and Mary and Martha. Of course, in the story, Lazarus, Mary and Martha, they send people to Jesus saying, the one you love is sick, please come. And Jesus doesn't come right away. And when Jesus does finally get there, Lazarus is dead. Mm. And Mary and Martha's two sisters are just grieving. And there's this one part of the story where Martha runs out to Jesus and says, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. That's pretty honest. Right, so honest. And in the context of their conversation is when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Mm. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Which is just quite the claim. Yeah, it is. Quite the claim. And then we see right after Jesus says this, I am the resurrection and the life, he goes to the tomb of Lazarus. And he weeps. And I think that's just so significant that in between saying I'm the resurrection and the life, then he goes on to resurrect Lazarus. There's still space for weeping. Oh, yeah. And there's still space for grief. And then what I love, kind of what we were just talking about, Chris, about the sheep knowing the shepherd's voice, Jesus calls out and says, Lazarus, come out. And that's when Lazarus walks out of the tomb. He hears the voice of Jesus. And what I love is that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, and then it goes on to say that he took off his grave clothes, Yeah. that he unbound him. And I think it's just significant that he's the resurrection and the life, that he brings life but also brings freedom. That's really good. That he unbinds us from our grave clothes. That's really beautiful. I love it. I am officiating a, a funeral on Thursday, mm-hmm. just a, a, a tragic and untimely death in our church community. And I, I find myself whenever um, confronted with with death, uh, which at the end of the day, death was not God's idea. Death came into the world because brokenness and sin and death reminds us things are not like they ought to be. Mm-hmm. And that Jesus... He just enters into death and he meets people where they are, even as he knows he's bringing life on the other side. Mm -hmm. And it's just such a beautiful, this story I think is maybe one of the purest and truest examples of how Jesus engages us as we engage the confusion and the loss of death. I mean, I guess one other thing, I mean, as ladies, for Martha and Mary, 
I mean, losing their brother in a world where n- neither woman was married meant something. Yeah, they're right? vulnerable, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Jesus was actually speaking to human uh, terror. Mm-hmm. I would. I, I don't think that's hyperbolic to say mm-hmm. that for them. Um, what comes next mm-hmm. was probably very scary. Yeah. And he just enters right into that space, yeah. which I love. I mean, it's one of the things that I personally... Just seeing Jesus's heart for women uh, was not just egalitarian in the sense that uh, men and women both are created in the image of God. It was also a look at, um, in the context of the world in which Jesus lived, his care for those who would be vulnerable, not because of a deficiency on their part, but because of the brokenness of the system of the world. He just went right at it, which is such a gift because Lord knows there are so many places in my life where I feel very vulnerable and very worried about what's going to come next. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And this story is such a great example of that. It is. I remember something that you said really stuck with me, Katie, that that week talking about Jesus being the resurrection and the life, that it was a look at the future, but also the present. Yeah. And we often think of, I don't, when we think of resurrection, eternal life, we think like only of the future, Mm -hmm. but Jesus was saying like, there is life. Amen now it's like a present reality quality of life and i think Mm. when i think about resurrection and that idea of jesus unbinding lazarus from his grave clothes is this idea of freedom being both freed from things and freed to and i think we see with jesus's resurrection this freedom for ultimately from death but also from shame and fear this freedom that also then frees us to things, freedom to live more fully into who we are created to be. Amen. Freedom to live the good life that Jesus has for us. Amen. So, Adrian, I appreciate you bringing that up. That it's the quality of this future hope and this present reality. Mm-hmm. I yeah. love it. So good. So, sticking with you, Katie, week five, you tackled two I am statements. First, Jesus' statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life from John 14. What's, in your view, as you were reflecting, what's most important about that statement? Yeah, so I definitely spent less time on this one because conveniently, Chris, you preached a sermon the week before <laughs> I did. on John 14. So I uh, made a pitch, go listen to the sermon. <laughs> but one of the things that I see in that statement is Just this idea that Jesus doesn't simply point to the way, but he is the way. Amen. He doesn't point to the truth or that he's one truth out of many, but he is the truth. And he's not just a version of a living thing, but he is life itself. Amen. So I think those three, the way, the truth, and the life are really impactful. I love it. So most of your time in that last session was spent on Jesus's I am statement, I am the true vine. What's significant there, that image of the true vine, what stood out to you that felt really important? Why'd you spend most of your time there, aside from the fact that I preached a sermon the, <laughs> the week before? Right. I, I loved learning and reading and reflecting on the idea of that vine imagery, because I think it shows this interconnectedness God is the gardener he's the vine keeper Mm -hmm. and then Jesus he is the vine and his disciples and ultimately us who are in Jesus are the branches yeah and we see this 
interconnectedness that to bear fruit has to have the careful care of a good gardener and the life source of a Mm. true vine. And in John 15, Jesus says the word abide 400 times, basically. (laughs) And which is just this idea to remain in him, to stay connected to him. And that's how we bear fruit. That's how we have life is not all the things we do right, but being connected to Jesus. Amen. That's so beautiful. Oh, it's just encouraging to my own heart to sit with you guys and and think about these things together. Uh, Y'all, one of the things that we... Uh, are holding as a staff and and a leadership team is a commitment to uh, do studies like this on a regular basis. Uh, It's our commitment and conviction that the way we engage in these spaces should be equipping uh, for each and every one of us to read our Bibles in our own private spaces. There's a gift of reading alone Mm -hmm. and then reading in community. Uh, When we do one, I think it should enhance the other. Mm -hmm. And so our heart uh, for you as a Trinity community is that um, you would learn to hold your Bibles and to read your Bibles and that you would know and we would all know that it's not just a few experts because I can just tell you the three of us, we're not experts. Uh, We are pilgrims just like you and we have the same questions and the same doubts and the same insecurities when it comes to approaching like an ancient text like the Bible. My Am I right, ladies? Yeah, very true. <laughs> and so we <laughs> come we come to this as fellow pilgrims. Mm-hmm. And so our our goal as a church leadership is to teach in community. The three of us, we sharpen each other in community and then learn in community mm-hmm. because we believe that community is gonna enhance um, our personal piety and vice versa. And I just wanna encourage you to participate with us in, in studies to come uh, because we just believe that as we're growing as a joyful community of disciples that a big part of that is getting into this book Mm -hmm. and letting ourselves get in the earth of it in the dirt of it Uh, and so these five weeks were super fun for us very meaningful and our prayer for you is that you'll join us in studies to come uh, because this is good stuff y'all god bless you Uh, go in peace thank you for giving us 25 minutes of your time we appreciate you guys Bye. Bye.